We are continuing uh, in our sermon series, On the Road with Jesus, and it's out of the Gospel of Mark, and you may say we just read Matthew, that doesn't make sense. Well, we're going to be in both, so if you, um, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 1 and hold your place in Matthew so that you can go back and forth, feel free to do that. Um, I'm going to read Mark real fast. Mark 1, verses 12 and 13 say this. The Spirit immediately drove him out of the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So as you hear that, maybe now you kind of see why we would want to read Matthew's account also. Um, Mark is, again, we've seen it. He, he's very stop and go. He'll, he'll rush. He uses the word immediately or straight, straight away. Very often, and you're like, man, there's no way that that's immediate because it's miles away. So how did we get there? But it, he says immediately he was driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And so we, we get the driver's ed course of speeding up and slowing down and speeding up and slowing down. And today we're going we're gonna to speed right through the Gospel of Mark. He, it's a very short couple sentences, and yet we want to slow it down some to see what God also has to say in the book of Matthew about the temptation of Jesus. Last week, we saw in the baptism of Jesus that John the Baptist came to prepare the way of the king. Right? That's huge. This idea that the king would come, that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ was coming. And John preaches a baptism of repentance and telling the children that their hearts need to be turned back to the Father and telling them that their Father's heart is towards them. And then we saw Jesus walking to fulfill all righteousness, even being baptized by John. And then in that moment, the Spirit comes down like a dove and rests upon Jesus. And out of the, out of the sky we hear the words, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so we have this beautiful Trinity picture. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all together in one place, worshiping one another, giving glory to each other. And out of that moment, that same Spirit that descended upon Jesus drives him into the wilderness. And we're going to see that it's to be tempted. You see, Jesus walked in the way and the path of righteousness that was prepared for him to fulfill all righteousness. And so today, we're looking to where that path leads. And the first place it leads is into the wilderness. But also in Mark, in, in chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus tells us where this path is going to lead. Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is Mark's gospel, and he presents Jesus as a suffering servant king. It's a different way than they were expecting. It's a different way than we would expect. Looking, what what does a king do? Well, a king exerts power and authority. And Jesus did that, but he did it in a way that was different. He did it in a way that was serving and loving. Not coming to be served, but to serve. And to give himself as a ransom for many. That son of man, it's a title that Jesus used for himself. Very often, it's quoted, it's it's said many times in the Gospel of Mark. And so Mark is presenting Jesus as this human, suffering, servant king. Mark tipped his hand in the very first verse, 
of his gospel by saying, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is his human name. My name is Joel. His name was Jesus. He has a human name. Christ is not his last name. Christ is the anointing that he had as the Messiah, the one who had come to restore all things. And then the last portion of it, it's Son of God. Mark's saying, listen, there's something that you're going to have to wrestle with about this person, Jesus, because he's the Son of God, fully divine, fully human, and it's a paradox that we're going to have to look at, question, pray about, ask God to reveal to us, what does that mean? Today, we're going to see how this God-man, after being called and anointed for ministry, where does he begin? Well, he begins with prayer and a suffering in temptation. Let's pray that God would open our eyes this morning. Lord, we would ask that uh, some of the deeper things that we're going to dive into this morning, spiritual warfare, temptation, sin, your word. God, I pray that you would just give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, we can't, we can't in and of ourselves make sense of this, and yet you've given us your Holy Spirit and you've given us your word, and so we pray that those two things would be effective today. God, would you transform and conform us today to your image, so that not so that we would just look better, not so that we would be better people, which, which those things will happen if we are conformed to your image. But most of all, Lord, we ask that you would conform and transform us for your glory. God, that others would be able to see Jesus in us, that they would be drawn, that they would want to know you because of your church. Lord, would you do that today? We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Three, three things that I want to look at. The first one is, is just that first verse. It's Jesus is driven by the Spirit. Often we think that uh, the Spirit always leads to good things, and He does. The Spirit leads us into good things. The fruit of the Spirit, there's some beautiful things. Love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And I miss one, but maybe you guys got it. But the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's there, and it's beautiful. And when you see people operating in that, loving each other genuinely, sacrificially serving one another, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. So if that's where the Spirit moves, and that's what you're expecting, and yet, we often want to define what is good. We often want to, to define these things, and so when the Spirit leads us somewhere that's hard, we say, well, that can't be the Spirit, and yet we look and we see Jesus, and Jesus is being led by the Spirit, and He's going into the wilderness, and I don't know what that is like, because I've never been in the wilderness, but I imagine it's hard, and He's leading him into temptation. He's taking him to the wilderness so that he can fast and pray, and then the devil, Satan, is going to meet him in the wilderness. That doesn't sound like a good thing to me, and yet we're given the fact that this is where the Spirit, that Spirit that came down as a dove and rested upon him, it's leading him now into the wilderness. What does it look like to be led by the Spirit? Well, in this passage, it looks like being hungry. It looks like being homeless. It looks like a wilderness. It looks like tempted and suffering. 
So let's not put our idea of what it means to be led by the Spirit on the text. Let's look at the text and say, man, God, if that's where you're leading, if that's where your Spirit is moving me, then I pray that I would have boldness to go wherever you would call me. And a right heart that would say, God, if you're going there, that's all I need. I want to go there. Now, before we jump to the temptation, which is my tendency, I will go straight to, hey, what do we need to do out of this? Where's the word? You know, what are the actions that need to change? Maybe even where's the heart? We need to see that Jesus goes into the wilderness and he spends time, 40 days, which is a significant number, many, many times in the Old Testament, there's 40 days or 40 years, and so this is, this is significant, but the reality is he's going into the wilderness to pray and to fast. That's not what I want to do, right? I'll jump straight to the good part and be like, hey, what is, what, how do we conquer temptation? And yet the way that Jesus begins this ministry that's going to take him three years and all the way to the cross so that he can save a rebellious people like us, he begins with fasting and praying. He begins in the wilderness with just the Spirit and the Word of God that's embedded in his heart. And we're going to see that. Like the Word of God is embedded in the heart of Jesus. It's not fair. He is the Word. So, I mean, you feel like he's kind of got, got a, you know, he's got an advantage there. But that's okay. Like we had the same thing. We had the gift of the Word. See, there's a reason Jesus begins his ministry here. And, and right now, I need to repent. I need, I've already confessed to you that I will jump past the praying, past the fasting, past the seeking the face of God. And often it's because I would rather do. And I feel like praying is not doing. And that's not true. Praying is the best thing that we can do. It's a way that we can truly love each other. A way that we can bring the petitions of what we need to the only one that can meet that need. It's the best way that we can love each other. But I skip over it. Another reason that I skip over it is I'm impatient. I just don't have time. God, I've got a lot of things to do, and I don't have time to pray. Man, if that's where your heart is, and that's where my heart is this morning, can we just repent and say, God, have mercy, and and then know that he does. So don't feel guilt and condemnation because of that, but let's think about that. Throughout our days, how do we pray? Do we pray in a way that seeks the face of God and longs for God? Another reason that I don't pray sometimes is because circumstances don't change, and so I don't feel heard, okay? But we've just talked about we cannot let the circumstances dictate where the Spirit is moving, where we are being led. Circumstances are are for us to be changed and transformed. They don't necessarily mean that hard circumstances don't mean that God is not in them into the wilderness. The end of uh, verse 12 in Mark says that he was led into the wilderness. Again, we talked about many stories had, many Old Testament uh, stories had 40 days as it was a significant thing. They also had the wilderness, which was a significant piece of the story that was told. Often, God would meet people in the wilderness. And I don't know if it's because he Love the wilderness, or because in the wilderness, maybe there's less distractions. In the wilderness, there's a dependency that anything that could be provided is going to be provided by God. 
And so God meets his people in the wilderness. We read it. He took the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and led them into the wilderness. For 40 years they were in the wilderness, waiting to go into the promised land, and God was with them. So he leads them out into the wilderness. There's something here that we need to grasp this morning. This this first two verses really blows up our idea of prosperity, of what is good, of what is the gospel. And, And there's a lot of churches that preach that if you just believe, you can have all of these good things. But Jesus believed wholeheartedly in the Father, and he was still led into the wilderness. He was still led into temptation. He was still led into circumstances that he would not wish for, right? We need, to, we need to see that. And then say, Lord, if you will go, if you will lead me by your spirit, I'll go where you have me. I want to be with you more than anything else. Again, that turning the hearts of the children back to the Father. Can we cherish him and love him? In Matthew, look at these three temptations. Right, So the first temptation that Satan comes to him, and Satan's real. If we're going to get some things from this, it's that Satan is real. One of the questions you may have is, how do we have this recorded? Like, how did we get this story? If it's only Jesus, and it's only Satan in the wilderness, and the spirit, how, and the angels that are ministering, and the wild beasts, how do we get this story? We have to figure that Jesus gave the story to his disciples that he told them so that they would be able to have this, so that they would be able to walk and, and, and not, be, not give in to temptation. And so this story is from Jesus' past to his disciples, and it's for us today. But the temptation of Jesus, three things that he's tempted with. The first one, Satan says, turn this, take these stones and make them into bread, because he's hungry. The man is hungry. Forty days without eating, I can't go 40 minutes without a snack. Right? I mean, that's just real. We're pushing it every church service. But 40, year, or 40 days without eating, he's hungry. And so Satan comes and he tempts him with probably one of his most um, real physical needs at that point. And he says, just turn, those, turn these stones into bread. But first he says, if you are the Son of God. These first two temptations... You have to see what Satan is doing here. Satan's trying to strip Jesus of his power, of his authority. He's trying to expose him for for not being the Son of God. He says, if you are the Son of God, then you should be able to prove it and do these things. Satan's a liar and he's a deceiver. And he wants us to be deceived because if he can thwart us and thwart the church then the glory of God will be reduced, right? We won't be glorifying God. And yet God has called us to glorify Him and to make Him known. And so Satan works to to prevent that. And in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's working to strip Jesus of, of what he has, of the identity that he has just been given by God himself. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, you don't have to be hungry. You can be comfortable. Listen, we, we have a couple of ways that we've categorized sin. And, and 
and I'm not saying that this is the best way, but I, it's some things that we've talked about a lot. So they, if we already have these categories, I'll go ahead and use them. We talk about root idols often. Root idols of comfort, control, power, and approval. Usually one of our sins, one of the things that we're longing for, that our hearts are turned to that are not God himself, is one of those four things. And they express themselves in a lot of different ways. But comfort is a big one. We long to be a comfortable people. And so that's the first temptation to Jesus is, hey, you could eat. You could be comfortable. And what does Jesus say? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, again, the Spirit is with him. He has Scripture, and he's holding on to these things, and he's reminded what satisfies. Is it bread? Is it something that would feed our hunger? No, what satisfies is God and the Word of God and knowing Him. The second temptation that the devil comes with takes him up to the holy city and he sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and he says to him, again, if you are the Son of God, he's trying to cut the legs out from under that. And so often we have a hard time believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And the reason, Satan wants to use that. Because if, if he's not the Son of God, and if he's just a good man with some good teachings, then we're trying to follow him, and all we have is self-righteousness or shame. But if he's the Son of God, that means he's walking perfect righteousness on our behalf. And that's huge. That changes everything, because now I don't have to strive and do. I can be who God has called me to be, believing that Jesus has paid the price Jesus paid it all, and he's made a way and a path that I can walk in to walk in righteousness. So again, Satan's trying to strip that away. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan is using Scripture that's how, that's how deceitful he is, okay? He'll use the things that we think are good things, and he'll try to tear down the fact that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the Son of God. This is out of Psalm 91, right? And can we be careful when we take Scripture and say, hey, we need to make sure that we know all of Scripture, we need to make sure that we know the whole narrative. Like, what is God doing? Are we the center of the story? If some piece of Scripture that we're taking and using and quoting for ourselves over and over makes us the center of the story, then we've missed the whole story. The story is not about us. We are invited into the story, and everything that's in the story about the people of God is good. But if we are the center of the story, then we're wrong because all of Scripture points to God being the center of the story. And so we need to know that so that when we quote Scripture, we're, we're telling the complete story. We're remembering the complete story. He says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Prove your power. Right? I mean, you've you got angels. They're going to come and rescue you. Show me. Prove your power. We talked about it. Comfort, control, power, and approval. And so now Satan's coming to, to tempt Jesus. Just display your power. It's going to be awesome. I want to see it. 
And Jesus says to him, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Quoting Deuteronomy again. Listen, Deuteronomy is where God is revealing to his people who he is for the first time. Jesus continues to go back and he's saying, hey, that same God that revealed himself to the people in the wilderness, I'm the God in the wilderness right now. There's no accident that this is happening. This is the Son of God we're talking about. And He knows Scripture and He leans into it and He's satisfied with who He is, who God has called Him to be. Verse 8, again the devil took Him to the very high mountain and showed Him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And He said to Him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship Me. Listen, this last temptation is one that sneaks in to our lives and it's this idea of approval. Right? He, Satan seems to be offering Jesus the approval of all of the world if he would just worship, if Jesus would worship him. The kingdoms and the glory could be yours. Jesus answers him with this, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Some observations out of these. Listen, Satan comes and everything that he offers, Jesus already has. <laughs> like everything. He has the power. He has the comfort. He has the approval of God the Father. He had just gotten it at his baptism when, Jesus, when God the Father says to him, You are my son, in you I am well pleased. He doesn't need any other approval than what he already has. But the tempter, the, the deceiver, Satan, will come and he'll make that offer to us too. And what do we need to do in that moment? We need to remember who we are. Just as Jesus is remembering who he is as God. We need to remember those things. Satan is not offering Jesus anything that he doesn't already have. Satan tempts even manipulating scripture. Just some, some things to observe coming out of this. See, Jesus, the Word, uses Scripture, and he, and he knows all of it. And He presses into the things that are most important. Each of these Scriptures is out of Deuteronomy that Jesus uses, and He's referring to who is God. I don't care what you say about me, who is God? We need to have that same confidence. I don't care what you say about me, who is God? Does the way that I'm using and thinking about Scripture align with the larger narrative? We need to remember that as we're going through. A third observation of the temptation of Jesus is Satan will manipulate, lie, and deceive, but that's all he has. That's all he has. He didn't have a power, he didn't have power or authority over Jesus. And so if you are in Christ, Right? We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. If that's our identity also, then he has no power or authority over you. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Listen, sometimes we'll think, oh, there's going to be a way of escape. But what was the way of escape for Jesus? It was remembering who God was. And it's going to be the same way of escape for us every time. Remember who God is. Remember who he's called you to be. 
Remember who you are in light of Him. It's not about us first and foremost. It's about God. Another thing that I see in this passage is in the end, Jesus commands Satan to leave. And Satan leaves. He has no authority to stop what Jesus commands. For me, as I'm reading this, I'm seeing this truth continue throughout Jesus' life. You see, Jesus is satisfied. He's satisfied with who he is. He's satisfied with who God has said he is. He doesn't have to go and strive for anything else. So even the temptation that comes to him for an an alternate, alternative satisfaction, he doesn't need because he's satisfied in who God has called him to be. For us, temptation feeds off our lack of satisfaction. When we are unsatisfied with the word, when we are unsatisfied with our place where God has put us, and every one of you, if you are in Christ today, you are in the place where God has put you. You don't need to strive to go any further. You don't need to to have this remorse of, of the things that God has brought you through. If you are in Christ, you are where He has placed you, and you can be satisfied. And you should be satisfied. Not just can, you should be satisfied with that. But too often, our temptation feeds off of our lack of satisfaction. You see, this is the mark of the kingdom of God. We're reading out of Matthew 4. Well, the next chapter in Matthew 5, Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he says. He's talking about the kingdom of God that he has come to establish. And what he says in Matthew 5, 6 is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Man, God, would you work that in us? Would you, by the power of your Spirit, work in us satisfaction with who you are and who you've called us to be? Can we hunger and thirst after righteousness for your name's sake? Last thing, as we're moving through Mark, again, it's only those two verses, so we went back to Matthew to see what what Satan says to Jesus in the tempting, but it at the end of Mark, verse thir- or chapter 1, verse 13, he says, And he was with the wild animals, and the angels ministered to him. You see, Jesus is ministered to by the angels. There's a reality of spiritual warfare that's happening. You have Jesus, the Son of God. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the, Satan, the deceiver. You have uh, angels that are ministering to Jesus. I think often... We get so caught up in what we can see that we miss what is going on around us. That God is working to produce a kingdom that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Like there's a spiritual war going on, but we already know the victor of the spiritual war because he's already done it and he's come. And and Satan only has lies and deception and manipulation. But we give in to it. 
Listen, if this morning you're wrestling, I just don't want you to hear if you've given into temptation, there's condemnation. There is no condemnation. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no longer any condemnation. You are free. And if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. So I just pray that even as I'm saying these things, we can, we can hear temptation and remember how we've given into temptation and we can just feel this guilt and condemnation, but there's none of that, okay? There is a way that, that is walked in perfect righteousness by Jesus, the Son of God. And if you are in Christ, he's walked that for you. There's spiritual warfare going on. There's angels, there's an adversary, the devil, Satan. And so that, this just points back to that first part that says, how can we skip over prayer and fasting, which is the one place where we can enter into that and pray and say, God, would you, by the power of your spirit, work? We can't defeat demons. We can't defeat Satan. We can't even... Not given to temptation by our own will, but by the power of the Spirit, if we're praying and fasting and saying, Lord, would you do these things? He can, and He does. So even as we think about spiritual warfare, we have to remember that, that one of the ways that we participate in that is through prayer. Praying that God would do what we cannot. There's a particular encouragement when he says, with the wild animals, in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Because remember that Mark is writing to the church in Rome. This church in Rome is meeting in the catacombs, in, in crypts, in places where no one else will go, because it probably is horrible. But that's the only place where they can gather, because they're being persecuted by the Roman government, by Nero in particular. And so this message to the people in Rome, those that are already risking everything to hear the good news, Mark writes and he says, even Jesus was with the wild, wild animals. Because at that time, if you were found to be a Christian, you were enchained, you were, you were chained and you were um, imprisoned. And then they would release you, but they would release you in the Colosseum. And they would release you with animal pelts on. And another wild animal or wild beast would be in that Colosseum with you. And I, I won't go into any of the detail, but you can imagine. It was horrific. It was awful. But here, God, in his kindness, is speaking to that particular people to say, Jesus was with the wild beasts. He is in that moment with you when you are being persecuted, when you are being killed. Jesus is with you. Jesus is present with his people. Okay, what does all this mean for us? And I'm trying to wrap up. I know I've been going a little long today, but hopefully you're tracking with me. We've been given the what, the, the who, what, where, and how in this passage. We we know who it was. It was Jesus, led by the Spirit, tempted by Satan. We've been given the what? It's this temptation, right? This trying to speak to, to the same temptation that you and I experience. We've been given the where. It's in the wilderness. We've been given the how that uh, Satan would tempt with sin and Jesus would rest in satisfaction with who God has said He is. 
So the last question is the why. Why do we have this? Why has this been preserved for us? Why do we have this intimate view into Jesus' life? Hebrews is super helpful with this. And we talked about it in community group this past week, how Hebrews really explains a lot of the things that Jesus did. But Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says this, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Again, in this passage, we see the humanity of Jesus. That all the temptations attempt to draw on Jesus' humanity. And yet, Jesus did not sin. He was just like us. He was tempted in every way like us. And yet, He did not sin. He has the Holy Spirit, and He has the Word of God. And He stands firm on those two things. To walk in righteousness. And we have access to these same gifts. We have access to the Spirit. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you, leads you. And you have access to His Word to know the whole story, to whole, know the narrative of who God is and what He's done. And one other thing we have, we have the church. We have each other to point to Jesus. To tell maybe some of the missing parts of the story that we forget. We get to do that together. Hebrews 4, 14-16 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see that? One of the other beautiful things that we see here is the love of Jesus. He sympathizes with us because he has been in our shoes. He has walked. He's been tempted. He's been tried. And yet he walked perfect righteousness on our behalf. You see, the gospel is the good news. Jesus is God incarnate. He came as a man. He was tempted as a man. He lived righteousness as a man on our behalf. The first Adam, he sinned, and, and we have that same sin. But the second Adam, Jesus would come, and he would walk perfect righteousness, perfect obedience to the Father, and be the sacrifice so that you and I could be saved. You see, he lived righteousness on our behalf, and he died on our behalf, paying the debt of sin that we owed. The Bible is crystal clear. There is a debt that is owed for sin because God is holy, he is righteous, and we are not. And the payment of sin is death. And so someone had to die. And Jesus walked perfect righteousness so that He could be the perfect sacrifice for you and I. And see, not only did He die, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is not only the victory over temptation. It's not just this one-time thing. But Jesus has defeated sin and death and temptation on all counts. It's done. And then not only did he, he rise again to prove that, but He ascended to the Father, and the work is done. We may not see it right now, but it is complete. We rest in that finished work of Jesus. 
We long for the day when He comes back, when He will return and He will restore all things. And there will be no more crying and there will be no more tears and there will be no more sadness because Jesus has made it perfect. And we get to see it. It's already done. We just will see it then and walk in it. And now Jesus at the right hand of the Father intercedes on our behalf. Having walked through temptation, the same temptation that you're walking through, He now sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us praying for us, praying that we will walk in righteousness. And when we don't, he says, but by my grace, it's okay. Because I walked perfect righteousness for you, and I paid the sin debt that you owed when you don't walk in that perfect righteousness. You see, Jesus has blazed the path in the way of righteousness. Listen, we are not God. We only have one nature. Our nature is human. And yet, if Jesus is walking in his human nature in these things, he did not put aside fully his his divinity, right? He is the son of God. He declares it. God declares it. Even Satan is declaring it in his own really demented way, (laughs) right? Jesus is the son of God, but in his humanity, he walked perfect righteousness so that we can do it too. But we don't walk in that perfect path of righteousness so that we can say, man, look at me. I'm righteous. We just don't do that. We walk in that righteousness so that if anybody sees it, we can say, listen. Listen, if you see any righteousness in me, it's because God has done it. Because by the power of his spirit, he's leading me into these things. And sometimes it feels like he's leading me into the wilderness. But if you see a glimpse of Jesus, If you see a glimpse of goodness, of righteousness, you've seen Jesus. And I pray, will you come with me and let's point to him together? Let's look at him together. Let's be that people. If we can walk and, and, and be tempted but not give in to temptation, we need to be pointing to Jesus. We need to be saying, man, look at this. I was tempted and yet God is prepared me and walked me through this and for somehow I didn't give in to that temptation. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of what God's doing. How He's changing me. Because if people see me and they think oh that, that Joel, he's a good dude. They're missing it. I'm not a good dude. I have a great Savior. I have a great Savior. You have a great Savior. Right? And that's what we need to tell people. That's what they need to hear. Not how do you overcome temptation. Who is God? What has He done? That's what we need to hear. Let's pray. God, will you... Man, you're good. You're a great Savior. God, would you change us? Will... Will you, by the power of your Spirit, lead us into things that are uncomfortable, that are hard, that, are, that feel like a wilderness, that feel barren even? Lord, so that others would see in their wilderness and, and see righteousness, and we would be able to say, no, it's not me, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. God, we long to be that people. And we realize that, that being that people will kind of make us look like a mess. And we pray that we would be okay with that. 
Because if people see a mess, but they see Jesus, that's all they need. God, will we walk in repentance? Can we confess that we, we both need and have a great Savior? God, thank you for just the reality of the satisfaction that we can have because you have given us everything that we need for life and love and joy and peace because of the work of your Son. I pray that we would press into that today. I pray that through this week, as temptation comes up, Lord, that we would remember who we are in Christ, just as Jesus, the Son of God, remembered who He was and who you are. God, can we do that? God, I pray that if there's anyone here that is not in Christ today, Lord, maybe they're hearing this for the first time. and they're, God, they want to know you. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that you would use us, your church, to reveal yourself to them. God, that they would taste and see that they don't have to strive, they don't have to do, they have a Savior who has come and worked perfect righteousness on their behalf. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Pray that it would bear fruit in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.